0: one or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study.
1: We welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study, the first Virtual Bible Study in May of 2011, May 5th, 2011. We appreciate you being on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father Greg Gwynn is preaching in Bedford, Ohio tonight. And in his absence, Monty Overton, a member of the College View Church, is here. Monty, welcome to the program. Good to be here, Jacob. And it's good to have you. And Anthony is behind the controls tonight. Anthony, welcome to the program. Thanks. It's been a little while, so it's good to be back in the saddle. And the Anthony cam is not turned on tonight, so you may want to enable that.
2: I'll have to check into that. It was on earlier, and now
1: now it's offline, so we'll have to try to fix that. We can't go without the Anthony. That's what our listeners say. Uh, We're glad that you are on the program tonight, and uh, we look forward to listen, hearing from you. This is a listener interactive program in which we benefit from your participation. The number to call is toll-free, 877-381-4567. The email address to use is questions at com. And if you're listening to us live tonight, you can join in the chat room to the right of your video screen from our website, The Virtual Bible Study. We are glad you're on the other end of the line, and we look forward to hearing from you soon uh, tonight. Well, uh, we have an interesting program planned, and it is interesting uh, for more than one reason. One reason it's interesting is because the guest who was requested to fill in had to come up with his own topic. Uh, Monty has uh, suggested a topic tonight that should be very interesting. Uh, We want to talk about one-word responses uh, to various Calvinistic doctrines on the program tonight.
3: Explain that to me, Monty. Well, the idea that came to me uh, has to do with certain words that we might think of that if by the definition of them would logically refute the idea of Calvinism. Uh, Just some things that we might come up with that just this one word, if its definition is accurate and correct and it's true, then it would logically tell us that these various things in Calvinism can't possibly be accurate to the Scriptures.
1: All right, so what you've done is you've looked at... uh verses maybe that teach things that are in contrast to uh the scriptures uh, i mean to calvinistic doctrines you've taken those verses you've looked at words and just one word out of those verses perhaps shows that the doctrine of calvinism can't be correct
3: well that's true like uh one of the things i was thinking of in that when we had a lesson a while back that was dealing with predestination well if we understand predestination if i understand what they're saying they're saying that God has predetermined what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and preordained that we're going to do various things in our life or really when they get down to it, all the things in our life. Mm -hmm. So, in effect, if that's the case, then when we think of the word sin, well, sin is a violation of God's law, of, 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 of not keeping and doing what God has told us to do. Well, if we're predestined and preordained to do things... We can't sin because whatever it is we do. If, I mean, if I go out in the street and murder somebody, God's already predestined and preordained that I'm going to do it. will that you did it. It was that. His will that I did you know, it, so it's not fault. a sin.
1: We'll talk about that. But people go as far as saying God wants people to do these sins, mm-hmm. uh, even they want God wanted uh, Judas to betray Christ. God wanted Christ to be crucified, Think, uh, things like that. We'll talk about that as we go along in the program. But it is an interesting concept, Anthony. You got to you, you you're picking up what Monty's putting down tonight.
2: Yeah, I had to admit
1: I wasn't quite
2: sure where we were going, but it, but I, I see where Monty's coming from, and it is kind of it's eye-opening that just just some single words that we can look at from the Bible can really, uh, as money said, sort of fly in the face of of these Calvinistic doctrines that unfortunately so many people in in the world in the denominational world uh, hold to these doctrines or. Or the denominations that they're a part of teach these doctrines, and some of them may not even realize it.
1: Oh, well, that's true. We'll talk about that as we go along in the program. Again, we want to hear from you on the phone, over email, or in the chat room tonight. Before we get into the dis- discussion, we ought to just give a, a fundamental overview of the doctrine of doctrines of Calvin, uh, John Calvin, who lived in the 1500s. He saw all things in the Catholic Church that he didn't like, Monty, and as a result, he came up. Uh, with this uh, standard of belief, that uh, many in the pro- Protestant world today continue to hold to uh, the doctrines that John Calvin developed in the 1500s.
3: That's, that's right, Jacob. There's a lot of people that we talk to today of various denominations that submit or, or hold to these doctrines, and they teach them and believe them. All right. Uh, those uh, they're, Again, wide-ranging, uh, many Protestant do-
1: uh, denominations, they hold to these doctrines. And uh, the doctrines of Calvinism of Calvin, the Calvinistic doctrines that we're going to talk about tonight, there are five, and they are represented by an acronym. And the acronym uh, Anthony is not a, a derogatory acronym where uh, you know people use it in derision. Those who hold to the doctrine uh, use the acronym to help uh, remember uh, the tenets of Calvinism as well. Right, it's it's, uh, it's a helpful
2: little acronym uh, of
1: tulip. So
2: tulip. Each of those letters represents uh, sort of a, a key tenet of the ideas of Calvinism, All so right. it's handy to remember
1: that. All right, Calvinism is uh, defined by the the tulip uh, flower, the T in tulip. Anthony, what's that stand for? Ben, uh, you really put me on the okay. spot here. Uh, but I got but I think I can okay. get it. Go you, for it.
2: You know I like trivia, so okay. although uh, not trivial subject
1: matter, but uh, total hereditary depravity. Bingo, you got it. Uh, total hereditary depravity. That means, uh, Moni, and we'll we'll get into it more. But it means that we're totally depraved uh, from birth, hereditary depravity, totally depraved. You're absolutely 100% wicked to the core when you're born. There's absolutely nothing you can do in a direction towards God to try and serve God, try and please God in and of yourself. You're totally depraved. That's what the T stands for. Uh, The U in TULIP, Uh, Monty, what does that stand for?
3: It stands for unconditional election.
1: And that's logical because if you're totally depraved, and you can't do anything in the direction of God because you're wicked to the core from birth, then God's going to have to choose for you to serve him. Because you can't, because you're totally depraved. That's correct. God has got to choose you, and it's unconditional. There's no, nothing, no, no merit on your part. God just chooses who he wants to be saved. He wants money to be saved. He wants Anthony to be lost. God's doing the choosing. Unconditional election. And then we've got the L in the tulip doctor. Oh, that we've got Anthony stumped on that one. Uh, L. Imani, what does L stand for in the tulip?
3: It stands for limited atonement.
1: Limited atonement. Uh, that means that if God is choosing Imani to be saved and Anthony to be lost, then Jesus only died for Monty. He didn't die for Anthony. Therefore, Anthony couldn't be saved if he wanted to because Jesus only died uh, for you. So we've got the T, the U, the L. And the next is the I. My, uh, oh we're well, still stomped on the, the controls tonight I, I
2: think i might have the p well,
1: well okay but we'll get what well, i Money. the i is irresistible grace you understand what that that is
3: that's right if we have no if we're not able to do anything about it as we was talking about with total hereditary depravity then irresistible grace means that when god shines his grace on us we couldn't not be saved if we tried to. There's nothing we could do. It's you just totally irresistible. You just get swept we're along we're and... swept up with it, and overwhelmed by it, and that's just the way it is. All right, that is the irresistible grace.
1: And then we have the final uh, tenant, uh, number five: the P in tulip.
2: I, I better get this one right. It's perseverance of the saints. You got right? It.
1: You've got it. All right, uh, two for five isn't too bad. Forty uh, uh, to percent perseverance of the saints, Monty.
3: Well, what the idea behind perseverance of the saints is that if God has chosen us to be saved. And we're saved now. There's nothing we could possibly do to change that. We couldn't be lost if we wanted to. I could take up the notion I want to be an axe murderer and go out and just start killing people, but that's not going to affect my salvation because of this idea of perseverance of the saints. It's funny you mention that. There's a preacher who's even said
1: that you could be a murderer and you could die in the act and still go to heaven. So those are the tenets of Calvinism tonight. We believe each and every one of them is contrary to the Scriptures and in violation with what the scriptures teach. We'll talk about that. And, Monty, you believe you've got one-word answers for each one of those tenets that show that uh, they cannot be correct. And so we look forward to hearing from you. Uh, Earlier today we sent out an update, and we did did ask you to consider one-word answers to the five tenets of Calvinism. They were listed in your update email if you're subscribed to our update list. And Anthony got the email and came up with the goose egg tonight. It uh, stumped him, and it stumped many of our listeners But if you'd like to send in your answers, we'd like to hear from you tonight on the program. Beginning with the T in the Tulip Doctrine, total hereditary depravity, let's just again go over uh, the doctrine and what it means. Uh, Total hereditary depravity, Uh, Edward Hiscock in his Standard Manual for Baptist Churches says about total hereditary depravity, Being by nature utterly void of that holiness required by the law of God, positively inclined to evil, and therefore under just condemnation without defense or excuse. You're totally inclined to evil. There's nothing in you that's good, Monty, from the day that you were born. You're born totally evil. Uh, Lorraine Bettner in the Reformed Doctrine of Predestination says, Fallen man is so morally bl- blind that he is un- uh, uniformly prefers and chooses evil instead of good, as do the fallen angels or demons you're so totally uh, depraved goes back to inherited sin from adam money when adam sinned, then we inherited his sin and an inclination towards evil and we're totally uh evil we uniformly uh, lorraine Bettner says choose and prefer evil instead of good
3: that's right um as i was reading today i was reading through as in the book of ezekiel in chapter 18 beginning in verse 19 it talks about this inherited sin concept Apparently some people back here during this time frame had some notion of that or believed in some that to some extent or another. But in verse 19 of Ezekiel chapter 18, it says, Yet you say, Why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and observed them, he shall surely live. And in verse 20 it says, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So to me, a one-word answer refuting this idea of total hereditary depravity would be the word righteousness. Uh, It says here the righteousness, the son's not going to die because he's righteous. Or or another one-word answer that it it gives in this passage could be wickedness or wicked because it says the wicked person shall bear his wickedness upon himself. The righteous person doesn't have to answer for someone else's wickedness. And this idea of total hereditary depravity tells us that we would be inheriting the sins of our forefathers all the way back to what we refer to as the original sin with Adam. Well, this scripture here tells us that's not the way God looks at it. He doesn't deal with that. He looks at righteousness, and he looks at wickedness. He doesn't look at inheriting these things.
1: All right, and what was the passage again that you referenced
3: there? Ezekiel chapter 18, beginning in verse 19, and it goes all the way through verse 32, discussing this concept. Uh, Even in ghosts, well, some of this other we'll discuss maybe in another point later. But he, he talks about this all the way through, about how the righteousness the righteous shall receive their reward and the wicked shall receive theirs. Yep. And it's not got anything to do with any of my ancestors' activities.
1: Ezekiel 18, verse 20, again, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. The father's iniquities are not passed through to the son. And uh, those passages you mentioned, Monty, and the words that you've chosen from those show very clearly uh, that sin is not inherited, that you're not born totally hereditarily depraved. Uh, It also misunderstands another word that's on your list, Monty, and that is the word sin. Sin is something that we do, not something that we inherit. You know, the idea of inherited sin is in violation of that one word that's on your list, sin, because sin is an action, not an inheritance. You don't inherit sin. First uh, John chapter 3, verse 4 tells us that very clearly where we read, Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also, also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Now, Monty, I can't inherit uh, a, tr- a transgression if I've not done it.
3: That's right. You know, your, your ancestors may have done any number of things. I don't know. But you didn't do them necessarily. So if it's something that you're being held accountable for, it's because you have done it. It's what these pa- passages that we've been reading, both Old and New Testament. Tell us that's how God looks at this process. If there's a sin I'm accountable for, it's because I did it. It's not because somebody in my ancestral line done it, and I'm still being held accountable for it.
1: All right. Uh, my father, Greg Wind, is listening tonight from Bedford, Ohio, and uh, he says in the chat room, some modern translations lead to the conclusion of inherited depravity when they translate the word flesh, as in Romans chapter 7, verse 5, as sinful nature. That's a flawed transgr- translation and leads people to error. That's how prevalent uh, the doctrine is, Amani, even that some uh, have mistranslated uh, the word flesh in the scriptures uh, to give the in- in indication uh, that sin is something that is inherited when it certainly is not. Okay. Uh, another one word I don't believe is on your list, Mani, but is a word that uh, could very easily be used uh, for uh, this discussion is the word children. How would we do that? Do you know? I don't know to explain. Well, that let to me, me explain, that to, uh, th- explain that to you. Explain that to you. Children are innocent of sin. In fact, Jesus instructs that we should become like little children. in Matthew chapter eighteen, beginning in verse one. At the same time, came the disciples and Jesus saying, "Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven?" And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, "Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you can shall not inherit or enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child." The same is the greatest in kingdom of heaven. And who shall receive one such little child in my
3: name receiveth me. You know, that reminds me, since you brought that point up, there was a fellow I was discussing this concept with one time, and something was said about children, and I was talking about the innocence innocence of children and how they were safe because they hadn't sinned or anything like that. And uh, that's not what he believed. He believed that a child, even from birth, if it died without having been selected by God for salvation... Would be condemned to hell for eternity, even though Jesus has told us that we need to be like little children. So why would I want to be like a little child if, if it doesn't have any chance of going to heaven? Exactly right. Another
1: passage that's very clear on this is the 106th Psalm beginning of verse 37. 136 psalm beginning verse 37 yea they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils and shed innocent blood even the blood of their sons and of their daughters whom they sacrificed unto the idols of canaan and the land was polluted with blood notice in uh, the hundred sixth psalm there beginning verse 37 that it references these people sacrificing their children which was something that was prevalent in the old testament times but notice how god describes it
3: he, they were innocent
1: he, they shed innocent blood now I contrast this idea that these are this is innocent blood, that Jesus says we should become like little children. I contrast that with what people are teaching about predestination. For instance, Lorraine Bettner says, Fallen man is so morally blind that he uniformly prefers and chooses evil instead of good, as do the fallen angels or demons. Now, God says that children are innocent, sons and daughters are innocent, and yet... Uh, Lorraine Bettner says, oh, you're just totally morally depraved. You are not innocent. We're going to take a break, and we'll continue the discussion of one-word responses to the doctrine of Calvinism on the other side. We'd like to hear from you, 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com, or join in the chat room with other listeners tonight on the program. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this.
2: I got a question about something you've heard on the Virtual Bible Study Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. We'll
1: be right back after this. Hi, I'm Wade
0: Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh, And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the Virtual Bible Study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time.
1: This is Stephen Nicholson, a member of the College U Church of Christ, and I want to invite you to be a regular participant on the Virtual Bible Study. Your input by way of emails and phone calls are always welcome during the live program. We're also open to your suggestions about possible topics for discussion on upcoming editions of the program. We'd love to hear from you anytime.
2: Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program.
1: And we welcome you back to the program tonight. Uh, we appreciate you being here with us to discuss uh, the doctrines of Calvinism. And our guest, Monty Overton, has suggested the topic tonight, and uh, we think it's a good one. We're talking about one-word responses uh, to the doctrines of Calvinism. And the Anthony cam is up, and uh, the Anthony has a comment about uh, about uh, the doctrines of Calvinism. Yeah, we were just
2: talking about uh, one of the quote, quotations that you read uh, a minute ago talked about how that man or you know invariably chooses evil and that you know they, every almost sort of every imagination of the heart is evil and uh but i don't uh, the the nature of a newborn a newborn infant can't make choices they're not mentally you know able to to choose good or evil so i'm not sure how that quote uh works there another thing that a uh, passage that i thought of that kind of goes against this idea of inheriting sin um, is Revelation 20, verse 12, which says, uh, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works
4: mm-hmm. by
2: the things which were written in the book. So it doesn't say they were judged according to their preordained uh, fate it says that they were judged by their works or what they did. So that doesn't jive with, uh, with the idea of predestination in my mind.
1: Absolutely. And uh, that is uh, along the lines of what Ramona has responded to our questions tonight on the doctrine of total hereditary, hereditary depravity. She references, Monty, the word sinner. One is a sinner because he sins. According to 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, which we referenced earlier, the soul that's or the, uh, the whosoever commits uh, committed sin transgresses also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. Uh, you can't be a sinner unless you transgress the law, as Ramona uh, shows us tonight.
3: You know, and if we are predestined to do things and preordained, and it's almost really when you get down to it, it's like we're programmed to do the things that we're going to do. Well, as long as we stay true to our programming, then we haven't transgressed. We haven't stepped outside the boundaries of God's law. So, therefore, we can't be a sinner because we can't sin.
1: All right. We look forward to hearing from you. 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeu.com. If you're not logged in, the chat room tonight is very easy at the bottom of the chat window. Uh, Click in the sign-in using chat roll, and it will even supply you with a nickname, and all you have to say is okay. Or you can give yourself your own nickname if you'd like or your real name. And you're ready to go chatting with other listeners in the chat room tonight. Well, we're talking about the doctrines of Calvinism. It is a five-point uh, or five doctrines or five points to this doctrine of Calvinism. First, being total hereditary depravity. The second being unconditional election. Monty, what do you think about unconditional election? Again, give us a rundown of what uh, unconditional election is.
3: Well, unconditional election says that because we're totally hereditarily depraved, we can't even think about trying to do anything good or right trying to get ourselves right with god then god picks who he wants to have saved and it's an unconditional thing and there's nothing that we can do about it one way or the other there's no conditions no predispositions that's right it's just god picked us and that's the end of
1: it that's right uh, and here are some quotes that show the extent of what one would believe if they believe in the doctrine of calvinism an unconditional election the westminster confession says by the decree of god for the manifestation of his glory some men and angels are predestinated to its everlasting life and others are foreordained to everlasting death. Do you catch that Anthony, the Westminster Confession says God has chosen who he wants to be saved and who he wants to be lost. Some men and angels are predestined to everlasting life and others are foreordained to everlasting death and this is by the decree of God.
2: Yeah, again doesn't doesn't really jive with uh, Revelation 20:12 there and and pretty much all through the bible as we see conditions that are that are laid out uh to mankind you know the word if is a big word in the bible and we see that over and over um you know jesus said if you love me you'll keep my commandments and and even go back to the old testament um i think we were talking before the program about cain was told that if he uh were to do well then things would be well with him so um if we hold to this doctrine of calvinism that we've been talking about that kind of we need to go through with a, an eraser and take all those ifs out of the bible
1: all right uh, let us know your thoughts 877-381-4567 questions at collegeu.com there are a lot of passages monty and maybe some other words that you have as well on this idea of unconditional election
3: well another word that i had in in mind with that would be the word choose i believe it's in joshua chapter 24 he's telling the People, the children of Israel, as they're preparing to enter the land of Canaan, he said, Choose you this day who you're going to serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So he's telling these people, and he even goes uh, back to the, and points out to them that their ancestors had worshipped idols in, in previous times, but he's telling them, You have to decide right now who you're going to serve. He didn't say, He said, Choose who you're going to serve. He didn't say, uh, You've I've been preordained. Chosen who you're going to serve and you don't have any choice, in it's the matter. Sort of, but he told him to make a choice.
1: All right. That's right. And it was, it's been presented to people that way throughout time. Uh, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, notice the spirit and the bride say, come and let him that hear us say, come and let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will let him take of the water of life freely. Uh, there's a couple of words that would have to come out as well. Anthony, whosoever will, uh, that tells me that God hasn't chosen for me it is up to me uh, to respond to the invitation that God has made through Christ. Right. And, you know, just even a simple passage like Mark 16:16, 16,
2: 16, that uh, whosoever believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he who believeth not shall be damned. So there we have a choice that has to be made. So huh. we either choose to be to believe and be baptized and therefore be
3: saved or we choose not to believe.
1: All right, uh, we look forward to hearing from you over the phone, over email, or in the chat room tonight as well. Monty?
3: You know, another word that would refute unconditional election to, to me is the word submit. Mm-hmm. In James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we could also use that word resist there also. But in this passage, it tells us that we have to submit to God. Now, if my election is unconditional, I can't submit or not submit. I can't resist or not resist because it's unconditional. I don't have any choice no matter. But God is saying here that we need to submit to him. You know, we have to uh give up our will and and apply ourselves to making his will what we're going to do. And we resist the devil what he's saying there is we give up our idea that we our passions or pleasures that we want our sinful desires resist the devil, get rid of those things, and that'll flee from us. So if we can submit or resist, then it's not an unconditional election.
1: All right. Uh, We look forward to hearing from you again in the chat room over email or over the phone tonight. And uh, Greg in the chat room tonight says, uh, references, 1 Timothy 2, verse 4. You know, this idea of unconditional election, Anthony, really does make God a respecter of persons because if he wants you to be saved and he doesn't want me to be saved and there's nothing that... uh, that we can do about that, then uh, he's a respecter of persons. But yet, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, Speaking of God, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, it's very clear from the Scriptures, this passage as well as others, Anthony, that God wants all men to be saved. And yet to to the doctrine of Calvinism tells us uh, that he doesn't because he has unconditionally chosen uh, certain people to salvation, certain people to damnation. So I guess we'd have to take the word "all" as well as one of those one-word answers uh, to the doctrine of Calvinism. Right. It just doesn't fit. Uh,
2: that verse that you referenced is—I'm is, not sure how that could be explained any other way. It just completely is at odds with with this idea. Um, again, just a you know the, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John three sixteen. At, at the end, there, whosoever believeth in him shall have everlasting life. So that's that's essentially a lie i guess if this is true this doctrine is true because even if you believed in jesus if you were predestined to to be lost then it it wouldn't it wouldn't help
3: all right so apparently whosoever doesn't mean whosoever well, it doesn't mean every, anybody anywhere at any time.
1: Not according to uh, the doctrines of Calvinism. Maybe you should put whosoever on your list of one-word answers. I probably let me write that down. You need that uh, whosoever. And here's another word, another all verse that uses the word all. The second Peter chapter three or verse nine. 2 Peter chapter three verse nine, Money. I think you have turned uh, to that passage already.
3: Yeah, it Says the Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all ...should come to repentance. So we have this word, any and all. And these words include everybody. You know, if it's anybody or all persons, that's, that's not limited atonement. It's it's not unconditional election, but it, it's, it's everybody.
1: All right. <clears throat> all right. Again, that word, again, refutes the doctrine of Calvinism. So many Bible verses for each and every one of the tenets, Mono. We've gone through two. We've got three more to go. But we'll find even in those three as well that there are numerous passages that teach against the doctrines of John Calvin and the doctrines that so many in the Protestant world today hold to. What about you? What do you think? Let us know your thoughts. Maybe you agree with us. Maybe you think we're on track. Maybe you disagree with us and think that we have not interpreted the Scriptures correctly. You believe that John Calvin was correct, and the doctrines of Calvinism, the Tulip Doctrine, is correct. Let us know your thoughts. So we're going to take a break and get this week's bullet point. On the other side of the break, we continue. Three more tenets of Calvinism to go. Limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Mona, you got a word for each one of those?
3: I've got words for each of those.
1: All right. You've got a lot of words today. I've got more than we'll get to. All right. Uh, we'll continue with those words on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Wow.
2: It isn't so hard to understand the Bible after all. There's more exciting study and discussion coming after these messages.
4: This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. Our country accomplished some incredible things during the hard trials of World War II. The feats of brave men and women who faced the enemy on the battlefields inspires our awe. But there's also amazing historical data that documents the amount of war materials and supplies that were produced in relatively short periods of time right here on the home front. With limited resources that sometimes required rationing, and without the advantages of the technology we now enjoy, the nation's war machine turned out essential equipment at a staggering pace. How was this done? The key to this effort was a campaign to convince every single worker of his or her importance to the ultimate goal of defeating the enemy and winning the war. The leaders of our country successfully persuaded everyone to work hard, make sacrifices, and contribute what they could to this end. The results were amazing. Against huge odds, the victory was won. We are in another sort of war. There are no tanks, planes, bombs, or missiles. We do not need workers preparing bullets or medical supplies. There's no need for rationing of gasoline or other necessary products. Instead, we are in a spiritual war, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4. We battle against a very real and powerful enemy, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. To win this war, we definitely need every Christian fully engaged. Everyone counts. We cannot afford to have some of our vital workers slacking off in their duties. We must all endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, 2 Timothy 2, verse 5. Diligent effort, significant sacrifice, and determined commitment to the cause are essential. Every Christian serves in a critical capacity, Ephesians four fifteen and 16. Some might suggest that the odds against us are overwhelming. But in truth, with God on our side, the enemy is doomed. As Elisha told his fearful servant, quote, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them, 2 Kings 6, verse 16. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it.
0: Hi, my name is Bob Tidwell, and I want to remind you that the Virtual Bible Study
2: provides a great opportunity to use your computer for something good. So turn off the TV and guide your family around the computer each Thursday night for the Virtual Bible Study. God's Word has the
1: answers. Let's get back to studying it. The
2: Virtual Bible Study rolls along.
1: And we're back on the program tonight. We appreciate you for being there. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee, You can find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. If you've never been to our website, we would encourage you to check it out. Lots of good information there. And over five years, almost six years of the virtual Bible study programs available for your disposal there. Also, if you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, maybe traveling through, we would encourage you to come and worship with us at your earliest convenience. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930, Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock, and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. You'd be our welcome guest at any of these assemblies. We'd encourage you to come and join us at the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. As we talk about the doctrines of Calvinism tonight, the tenets of Calvinism, there are five. We've talked about total hereditary depravity, unconditional election. Now we have three more to go. And, Monty, you've got one-word answers for all of them. I have one-word answers for all of them. Well, that's good. We'll look forward to hearing from those. Uh, we have some an answer a question in the chat room, or in the email tonight that I missed, we've we've passed over it, and uh, I'm not as I'm not as quick on the draw as my father is on the emails. I don't keep up with those quite as good. Uh, I, it was not even on my screen, but it is now. Uh, Jim asks a question. He says, a difficult question I've heard asked many times is, if we are not totally depraved, why do we have to? Why do we not have to teach our children to sin? Anthony, did you get that? If we're not totally depraved. Why do we not have to teach our children to sin? For instance, uh, someone was, you know, since your, ch- your your children are not born walking, you have to teach them how to walk. But you don't have to teach your children how to sin. So, therefore, does that mean that they're born sinners? Because other things, that you, you, your children aren't born talkers. You have to teach them how to talk. They aren't born um, bicycle riders. You've got to teach them how to ride their bike. But they... You don't ever have to teach them how to sin. Does that mean that they're born sinners, totally depraved? No. I mean,
2: it's possible to learn. uh, I I mean, it's an interesting little um, quandary there, but it's really not a quandary. I mean, there's lots of things that we can learn without actively being taught. They could learn to sin by seeing people around them sin uh, and... and just mimicking that that's one possibility the other thing is that ignores the existence of of satan and and temptation um as we read about in the bible as well but we don't have to teach our children to sin they can they can
3: pick it up from the environment around them
1: okay all right
2: i don't know
3: if that's an adequate answer i was going to make an argument similar to what anthony said but we do teach our children to sin because all of us are sinners and from time to time we do things that we shouldn't do and our children will see us do that just like they see us walk is and they learn to walk somewhat by watching us they learn to talk by listening to us talk Uh, if they hear us saying things that we shouldn't say we have in effect taught them to say those bad things they're learning by example they're learning by our example we may not we may not be wanting to teach them to sin but but the fact that we do sin, and they see that in us, and they imitate us, they see us give in to our, our carnal desires rather than discipline ourselves and overcoming them. And so, in effect, we have taught our children to sin.
1: All right. So that's good. Um, and it is, you mentioned a desire. We can put it on a physical level. You know, we don't, uh, we wouldn't teach our children to be obese, but they may have that, that appetite and that desire. And uh, therefore, uh, they weren't born obese, but uh, through their desires and their yielding to those desires, they have become so, same with with being a sinner as well. You
3: know, I can see, you're talking about the desire to eat. I can see that in my grandchildren. One of my grandchildren doesn't eat all that much, and she's not particularly, I mean, you can't get her to eat too much. Mm-hmm. The other granddaughter, you have to be careful about what she eats because she'll eat all day long if you let her. So we have desires built into us that God, and God also, when he gave us those desires, gave us proper means for fulfilling them. And so when our children see us fulfill our desires in an inappropriate way that's not described by God as being the correct way, then we've taught them to sin. And we have the desires, and the desires aren't sinful, but the improper fulfillment of them is what is sinful. And so that's what we have to teach them is to fulfill them properly.
1: All right. We appreciate that question, Jim, and hopefully those answers are helpful. We've talked about total hereditary depravity, unconditional election, and the next uh, tenet of Calvinism is the L in the tulip limited atonement uh, that is uh, money that uh, if god chooses certain people to be lost certain people to save then he has sent jesus to die for those who will be saved he's only li- and only jesus, for those only for those not for anybody else jesus has just died uh, for those who'll be saved uh, the reform doctrine of predestination says if god has elected some and not others to eternal life then plainly the primary purpose of christ's work was to redeem the elect you've got a few one-word answers well, I've got or a couple of them.
3: Uh, we've already used them in talking about unconditional election, some. But if we look in First uh, uh, Timothy chapter two verses three and four, it talks. It says, "God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth." So I would use the word "all" there as a as a one word answer to this idea of limited atonement. It's not limited because God have provided that atonement for all men in First Timothy chapter two and verses three and four and as we talked about a minute ago in second peter chapter three in verse nine it talks about how god is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance we use those words any and all god has said i don't want anybody to be lost he's not willing that any should perish but he wants all or everyone to come to repentance so the atonement can't be limited if god's provided it for anybody or for all people All right. All right. I've got a couple words that I'd add to your list as well. You said any and all.
1: How about uh, whole, the whole? Uh, First John chapter two, verse two. Speaking of Christ, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Anthony, there's a word, one word answer to this idea of limited atonement. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world
2: that's funny that you mentioned that because i was i was looking up a verse with that same exact phrase and that would be uh john one twenty nine of uh, john the baptist it says the next day john saw jesus coming toward him and said behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world okay so uh i'm not sure how you can make that agree
1: with the idea of limited atonement all right i've got another one Molly. i don't want to steal your thunder have you got other words
3: uh, that's kind of what I had right, for well, this one.
1: How about every? Every one as well. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. He was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he should taste death uh, for every
3: man. Well, that seems to me that that's everybody. It includes the whole of everybody that's ever lived.
1: Christ's sacrifice is <laughs> available to everyone, mm-hmm. not just the elect,
3: not just a few. Now, not everyone's going to avail themselves of this opportunity mm-hmm. they've got, but it's there for them. All right. It is. It is God
1: has made it available for them, and uh, certainly the doctrine or the tenet of Calvinism, limited atonement, certainly, clearly is not in the scriptures tonight. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Email questions at com. The chat room is open as well. If you're in the chat room and you've not logged on, you know, a lot of listeners, uh, um, anthony listen every week but they don't log into the chat room they watch but they don't comment um it's very easy anthony you when you are at home listening you enjoy the chat room yeah uh, it's a great way to
2: interact and and throw ideas out and just uh you know take a more active part in the bible study and uh it's really easy i i if anybody is nervous about handing out personal information it's me that'd be you <laughs> and uh and with this chat roll software or tool you don't have to share anything just create a username and a password and um and you're right in there so and you, what credit card did you have to put in r- nothing oh it didn't cost you anything. no it's totally free nobody's so. uh nobody's
1: ripped you off or anything nope I, so it's safe my identity is still intact all right well you might want to join in the chat room if you are listening tonight and maybe just uh just so you uh, show up there with your name maybe you can just uh say hello to those other listeners that you join on a weekly basis, we've talked about total hereditary depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, and the fourth of the five tenets of Calvinism that we want to talk about tonight is irresistible grace. Now, this is interesting, Money, because again, all these tenets are building on themselves and they're logical. Uh, I studied with someone once who said that uh, that the doctrines of Calvinism are a lot of brain but not a lot of Bible because they're very logical. They make they that once you start down the road, it makes perfect sense. And I can see the next point of irresistible grace, but it is not in the scriptures. The idea that you're totally depraved from birth, you're wicked, you're totally uh, you're inclined towards wickedness. God has to choose you. It's unconditional. That you didn't. It just God chose who wanted to be saved. He wanted Monty to be saved. Anthony to be lost. And that's it. God's going to send Jesus to die just for Monty, not for Anthony. It's a limited atonement. And then the fifth is irresistible grace. That is, since you're totally wicked, if God's going to save you, he's going to have to save you against your will.
3: Whether you like it or not.
1: Whether you like it or not. Kicking and screaming, you're going to be saved. You can't resist it. It's irresistible. There's nothing you can do. In Hiscock's standard uh, manual for Baptist churches, he says, that regeneration consists in giving a holy disposition to the mind, that it is effected in a manner above our comprehension by the Holy Spirit in connection with divine truth so as to secure our voluntary obedience to the gospel. There's nothing you can do. You can't resist it, as Hiscock says. The Westminster Confession says, This effectual call to salvation is of God. Free and special grace alone, uh, as of of God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at all foreseen in man who is altogether passive therein until being quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit. He is thereby enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed by it. You're totally passive. Therefore, it's irresistible. God wants you to be saved, Monty, and there's nothing you can do. Um, And uh, in... um, And so we see God, according to this doctrine, God's grace is irresistible. But what does the Bible say about it?
3: Well, and when I think about this word, irresistible grace, the uh, the first word that came to my mind thinking about that would be the word almost. And the reason I thought of that is because Paul, through the direction of the Holy Spirit, is in his defense as he's before King Agrippa, and he talks to him. And in verse 27 of Acts chapter 26, Paul says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And then it says, Then King Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Now, if this grace was irresistible, and you would think the apostle Paul would, being an apostle, inspired of the Holy Spirit to make these words and and say these things, would know exactly what words that God would have him to say so that King Agrippa would have been irresistibly compelled to become a Christian. I mean, that's what Paul's doing here. He's preaching to him. He's trying to get him to become a Christian. The Spirit, we know that Paul being an apostle has uh, this... The words revealed to him that he's going to say by the Spirit. But King Agrippa says, almost, you've persuaded me to be a Christian. So for King Agrippa, it was not irresistible. Paul was doing his best, but it was not irresistible for King Agrippa.
1: David Steele and Curtis Thomas in their book, The Five Points of Calvinism, Defined, Defended, Documented, say this. Although the general outward call of of the dispel can be and often is rejected, the special inward call of the Spirit never fails to result in the conversion of those to whom it is made. This special call is not made to all sinners, but is issued to the elect only. The Spirit is in no way dependent upon their help or cooperation for success in His work of bringing them to Christ. It is for this reason that Calvinists speak of the Spirit's call and of God's grace in saving sinners as being efficacious, invincible, or irresistible. For the grace which the Holy Spirit extends to the elect cannot be thwarted or refused. It never fails to bring them to true faith in Christ." Anthony, those are some big words and uh, some uh, really uh, amazing statements. That when God wants you to be saved, He's going to work on you in such a way that you can't do anything to resist it.
2: Yeah, that you're
1: I... just like Jello. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, a robot. I, I don't, I
2: don't understand that. And I, there's, I didn't. I mean, I, I guess there's a whole book that that was taken from. I don't see any scripture to back that up, but um, maybe we just didn't didn't read it, but. It, it just again from the verses that we've already looked at um do not uh, support that that assertion
1: all right so here's a one word uh, that uh, greg has from bedford ohio for us on this doctrine of irresistible grace before we go to our break act 7 verse 51 monty you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears you will always resist the holy ghost as your fathers did so do ye you know this uh, that we read from this book here where it says that when the spirit uh calls you it is not dependent on your help or cooperation its success is guaranteed it is going to be efficacious invincible or irresistible yet acts 7 verse 51 says that there were people who were resisting
3: the holy spirit the holy ghost they were resisting the call of the gospel when the apostle wrote that and said that words to them in acts chapter 7 he didn't understand that he didn't know what he was talking about, did he? Well, you would think that. Uh, and he definitely didn't agree with John
1: Calvin. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a break, and we'll go to the top of the hour after this. We'll finish up talking about irresistible grace, and then we'll get to the P of the Tulip Doctrine, which is?
3: Perseverance of the saints. That's right.
1: We're going to persevere till the top of the hour right after this break don't go anywhere the
3: virtual bible study continues right after this
2: there's more of the virtual bible study to come after these
3: important messages stay tuned this is monty overton a member of the college view church of christ thanks for listening to the virtual bible study we appreciate your interest in the bible it is after all god's message to us we thought you might be encouraged by a poem written by a.z conrad entitled the bible stands it goes like this century follows century there it stands empires rise and fall and are forgotten there it stands dynasty succeeds dynasty there it stands kings are crowned and uncrowned there it stands emperors decree its extermination there it stands atheists rail against it there it stands agnostics smile cynically there it stands profane prayerless punsters caricature it there it stands unbelief abandons it there it stands higher critics deny its claimed inspiration there it stands The flames are kindled against it. There it stands. The tooth of time gnaws but makes no dent in it. There it stands. Infidels predict its abandonment. There it stands. Modernism tries to explain it away. There it stands.
0: My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible
1: study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. And we are back. We have Bonnie Overton filling in for my father and Anthony Petrachko behind the boards in the magic booth tonight. And we look forward to hearing from you in the remaining minutes of our program tonight as we look at one-word answers. Bonnie, your idea, You're you're sort of... Sort of short on words, you just one word answer. Not very verbose, I guess would be the word. Right? That's right, Anthony? Yeah, that, that, that was, was a, a good word. word. I don't know what dollar. it means, but I, it was a I good don't know word. Either. I don't know where it came from. Uh, but just one word is all it takes.
3: Well, you know, I'm just sort of a simple minded person, so if it's too long and complicated, I can't grasp it. Yeah. So I tried to keep it down to the, the big words I could understand, like if yes. and sin, you know. Okay, all right. So you know, I'm just trying to think of simple ways to that we could explain. The truth of the gospel and compare that and refute these ideas that the calvinists believe all right irresistible
1: grace is god's grace irresistible anthony right uh you know i it, it's
2: it just it's a doctrine that doesn't uh line up with the scriptures we see as you just said we we um were the passage that you quoted about uh, people resisting the holy spirit so it it's the words, the words are there, but the words uh, go against the idea of irresistible grace.
1: Here's another one in Matthew 23, verse 37. I like this one. Jesus wanted to save the Israelites. He wanted to save the Jews. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her, her wings, and ye would not. I guess it, you really need three words to get that one, uh, Monty. Ye would not. God, Jesus wanted to save uh, the Israelites
3: they would not have it. But what he's saying, if you want to put it into one word, is you have rejected him. You know, Jesus wanted to save them. And it's sort of strange to me that Jesus, being part of the Godhead, didn't understand that his grace was irresistible. Well, he did.
1: But he, he didn't show it. If, he didn't he didn't teach what John Calvin taught.
3: Well, that's true. That's what I'm saying. You know, yeah. if, if what Calvin is saying is true, then Jesus was confused on his own teachings because he's telling them that he wanted to save them. But they were rejecting him; they resisted him, in effect. But you know, it just Jesus obviously, if Calvin's correct, didn't know what he was doing.
1: All right, and First uh, uh, Timothy chapter two, verse four. We talked about this before. God will have all men to be saved. Mm-hmm. God's will has been resisted. God wants it this way; men have resisted it. Um, and also um, Acts chapter thirteen, verse forty-six. Uh, Look at this, on Acts 13, verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. God wanted the message presented to the Jews. They had the option whether or not they were going to accept it or not, and they chose themselves. They put it far from themselves.
3: You know, the New King James word Version uses the word reject right there, that since you reject it. So, you know, they had a choice to make, and their choice was to resist or reject the will of God. Quickly, we have a couple more. You have some other words as well? Well, I had a couple more that we might think of, three of them. Okay. Uh, if grace was, was irresistible, then we wouldn't be told throughout the Bible that we need to obey. Okay. Uh, another thing, if it was irresistible... Well, we,
1: there'd be no reason to tell you to obey because you are just going to do
3: Because uh, oh, we you're couldn't like, disobey. Yeah, I mean, you're
1: just going to be swept along, and you, there's nothing you can do about it, okay?
3: Another word would be believe. Uh, if it's irresistible, we wouldn't have to be told to believe. And that wouldn't be something we we couldn't disbelieve because it's irresistible. It's irresistible. Okay. We're being carried up okay. with it. And another word would be trust. We're told that we're supposed to trust God and, and, and trust the, the promises that he's made to us. Well, if grace was irresistible, we wouldn't have to trust because we'd be swept up. That wouldn't be an option to distrust it. Okay. Then you, I think, mentioned the word choose already. Yeah, we've talked about choose before. If grace was irresistible, uh, people throughout the Old and New Testaments wouldn't be told that they had to choose who they were going to serve or to choose to obey.
1: Think of all those uh, those uh, embroidered uh, ball hangings in people's houses that say have Joshua 24 verse 15 yeah. on them, Anthony. And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yeah, Joshua just had it all wrong. If Calvin it, was
3: right. He wasn't much of a leader of God's people if he was so foolish as to think that they had to make a choice rather than just this irresistible grace was going to take them. No, he should have said if God's chosen
1: you, you're going to, and if he hasn't, you won't. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, clearly the Scriptures teach us uh, from the words that we've looked at uh, that the idea of irresistible grace simply is not in the Scriptures. Any other uh, words you have on that before we go to the last uh, tenet of
3: Calvinism? Uh, not Nothing necessarily.
1: Uh, we have missed, I uh, have been... Uh, remiss in uh, uh, including Ramona's uh, words here for our questions tonight on words that uh, that uh, refute the doctrines of Calvinism for unconditional election uh, she has predestination versus destination freedom of choice as in Adam and Eve in the garden she references James 1 verses 13 and 14 for limited atonement she says Jesus died for all people Luke chapter 19, verse 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And for irresistible grace, she says we have free agency. She references John 5, verse 24, and John 8, verse 4. John 5, verse uh, 24, says, uh, whoops, let's see here. John 5, 24, says, Very verily I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, he shall not come in condemnation, but has is is passed from death into life. And so what uh, Ramona is showing us there is that it was up to us to respond or to accept the salvation that God has given us. In John 8, verse 24, I said, therefore, unto you that you shall die in your sins. If you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Again, showing that uh, men have free will. So we appreciate Ramona for those comments tonight. The last and final of the five tenets of Calvinism is the perseverance of the saints Monty explain that? That, that those are some big words as well what about that
3: well this idea of perseverance of the saints tells us that if God has taken us in this process of irresistible grace and he saved us that there's absolutely nothing whatsoever that we could possibly do in order to not remain in this state of salvation we could to keep from being a saved person God's taken us and so we're going to persevere as saved people no matter what.
1: All right. There's nothing you can do to resist it. The Westminster Confession puts it this way. They whom God has accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein unto the end and be eternally saved. Anthony, again, this is one of those logical things. Uh, if you are chosen by God, you're totally depraved, wicked. There's nothing you can do that's right. God chooses you unconditionally. He sends Christ to die for you and not for the, anyone else. You can't resist the grace. Then certainly it's logical to conclude that you couldn't fall away because God's done all this and you're done. Right. As you
2: said earlier, the, the doctrine in, is internally logically consistent within itself. It, it makes sense. And this last point, the P of Tulip, kind of has to follow logically uh, for the if if the
1: preceding
2: ideas are, are true. so uh,
1: All right, here's one uh, that uh, Sam Morris, uh, who's a, a Baptist preacher, he made a famous quote. He says, We take the position that a Christian's sins do not damn his soul the way a Christian lives. What he says, his character, his conduct, or his attitude towards other people have nothing whatever to do with the salvation of his soul. All the prayers a man may pray, all the Bibles he may read, all the churches he may belong to, all the services he may attend, all the sermons he may practice... All the debts he may pay, all the ordinances he may observe, all the laws he may keep, all the benevolent acts he may perform will not make his soul one whit safer. And notice this. All the sins he may commit from idolatry to murder will not make his soul in any more danger. The way a man lives has nothing whatever to do with the salvation of his soul. An amazing quote. And it certainly is a quote that those who would hold to the doctrine of Calvinism, if they're going to be consistent, and logical anthony would have to agree that it doesn't matter how you live in any way whatsoever you cannot
2: be lost right and i I don't see i don't see that taught in the new testament there's just far too many warnings uh against sin and and far too many um passages i mean just think about you know the idea of jesus teaching about about hell and and warning about that if there's nothing you could do to go there then none of that really makes much sense
1: all right uh let us know your thoughts one word answers to the idea of the perseverance of the saints before i forget Ram- ramona uh references simon in acts chapter 8 verses 9 through 24 he was a child of god because he was baptized but then he fell from grace and i think fall is one of the words you have there on your one word answers to the doctrine of perseverance of the saint
3: yeah the word i have is the word fallen and i referenced galatians chapter five verse four on that uh it says uh you have become estranged from christ estranged would be another good word there you who attempt to be justified by the law you have fallen from grace well paul obviously didn't understand that people couldn't fall from grace because he's telling these people they did also in galatians chapter five and verse one he uses the word stand he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So he's telling these people they have to stand in the in the liberty that God's given them. Otherwise, they'll be entangled again in this yoke of bondage. He's telling them you can be lost. You can go back, fall back into this bondage. He's saying you can fall from grace okay. if, if you don't uh, stay and, and do what you're supposed to do. All right. Uh, other words that you have? Uh, that's the two that I had right down right here. Okay. For me. did you have some?
1: Well, uh, Greg, in uh, the chat room, references Second Peter chapter two, verse twenty through twenty-two. Uh, I guess he has the word again mm-hmm. highlighted here from Second Peter chapter two, verse twenty through twenty-two. For if they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that des- describes a Christian, doesn't it, Monty? Mm-hmm. I would thinking so. The, no- the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of uh, the Lord and Savior. My, uh, you're not a sinner anymore, right? Okay, now. If they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment given uh, to them.
2: Yeah, that, that that's funny. Another coincidence. That was a passage I was looking up here oh, on my machine. He stole
1: your thunder. You did, again. <laughs> no, that was Greg in the chat room. <laughs> and stole your thunder.
2: Oh, okay, man. I'm going to have to take that up with him later Okay. if I if I'm, see him in a dark alley. But but anyway, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, w- the phrase that I just... this. You know, so poignant in my mind is down in verse 22. It, it has happened to them according to the true proverb: a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. So basically, you you know, it's saying you were clean at one point, and then now you're back in the mud.
1: So that analogy doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense at all. Right? It can't make any sense. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 3 has another list for your another word for your list there, Monty. Depart. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God created for them to be uh, created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth talks about people departing from the faith. Monty, that tells me that they were in the faith, and they've left it. They've departed from it.
3: Well, they can't depart if they never were there. That's right. You know, I can't depart from Columbia without first coming to Columbia so that I can be there to depart from it. So I can't depart from the faith if I haven't already been in the faith. If I hadn't already been saved, I can't depart from that salvation.
1: Hebrews 3, verse 12, uses the same word. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing
3: from the living God. You know, that word unbelief there, we could put in our one-word things back to irresistible grace. If grace is irresistible, there's no way we could not believe.
1: Okay. Well, that wraps it up, Monty. And we spent a whole hour talking about one-word answers to the doctrine of Calvinism.
3: You know, and when you get down to it with the one-word answers that we've had, logic would dictate from any of these one words that this doctrine of Calvinism is a false doctrine, not shown in the Bible, not approved by God.
1: All right. Well, we do appreciate uh, you coming up with the do- the topic tonight, Monty, and for your efforts in getting prepared for it and for joining us on the program tonight.
3: Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity good to be here.
1: Thank you. And, Anthony, thank you for being behind the controls. Good to have you at the wheel tonight. Yeah, it's good to be here as always. And uh, thank you for listening to the program and for your participation. Uh, we appreciate you being a part of the virtual Bible study tonight. We encourage you to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.